And again, thank you, everybody, for being with us uh, today. I'm looking forward to getting back into this uh, message series with you out of James. Uh, We've come to the last chapter, as you well know. We'll be wrapping this particular series up uh, pretty soon. We're in, again, the final chapter. But the reality is, I, I believe this to the core of my soul, that there are so many of you that God wants to speak to you today. And I believe he's going to do that. And uh, I'm glad about that because some of you are just going through some, some struggles and some testings and some pain and some suffering in your life. And you're just wondering, maybe does God even know? Does God even care? Maybe you're even wondering why would God allow that to happen? And one of the things I love about this fascinating New Testament book, James, I mean, half-brother of Jesus writes it, so he sort of dialed into who Jesus is. Inspired of the Holy Spirit, the Bible says that every biblical writer was inspired of the Holy Spirit, and that certainly God uses their own words and personalities and such, but God very specifically guided them. This whole idea of inspiration, or God breathed upon them, and they would write, And one of the things you've got to appreciate about James is just the entire book is bursting with practical wisdom, and our passage for today is no exception to that. Uh, James does not uh, attempt to shield us from reality. You're going to notice this. He's telling us life in this world is tough at times. How many of you have already came to understand that, that life is pretty tough at times? You have faced some challenges. I would imagine that every one of you in this room right here, you've dealt with some pain or some disappointment or some suffering at some point in your life, quite possibly this is actually the current struggle that you're having to deal with right now. And if so, I'm encouraged to encourage you that James has a message for you, and he does not not offer it to you glibly. He does not offer it to you without emotion. He has two primary words that you are going to see today, and I hope that you'll pay careful attention to them. And the words are, it sounds unique in the context of pain and suffering, but the words that he uses are patience and perseverance, patience and perseverance. Now, there's something that I need to quickly mention on the front side of this talk before we get into the verses we're going to look at today, and that is... um, What comes into play in this passage that we're going to look at today um, is written to people who are already followers of Jesus. Now, a lot of churches, you wouldn't even have to address this, but in our church, uh, we need to. And it's what I love about our church. And that is that on any given Sunday, there are people that are coming who, uh, who are not yet Christians. And again, as I referenced earlier, may not even think that they ever want to become a Christian. But for some reason, are asking some very valid questions. Maybe questions, uh, and maybe this is indicative of you. Uh, questions about God or about Jesus or about the Bible. Or does Jesus have any relevancy for your life whatsoever? Maybe you would consider yourself a, a spiritual seeker. Maybe you'd just say, hey, you're giving me way too much credit. I, I'm a skeptic. And the reason that I wanted to mention this is because I want you to understand that what we're looking at today is what James is saying is going to happen to those who are already in the family of God. Now, why does that matter? Because it matters a lot when you view it from this vantage point. I believe it is crucial that all of you who are seekers or skeptics or not yet followers of Jesus, that you would really dial in today so that it is incredibly clear to you what God offers up to those who are willing to say, you know what, I'm not going to try to live my life on my own. I'm not going to try to do life apart from Christ. I'm not going to try to manage my pain in isolation. I'm going to come to God or I need God and what God makes available, again, to those who decide to join his family. 
I want to add another brief thought right here, and that is I do not know for the life of me how it is possible that people walk, who walk through enormous challenges and suffering and pain in their life uh, do it all alone without God's help. Some of the challenges and burdens and troubles that they go through. And, and I think to myself, well, why would they, number one, how do they do it? Because I, I can't really wrap my mind around that. But then here's another question. Why would they even want to do that? When God is saying, I'm available to you, and I love you, and I care about you, and I, I created you, and I've got a purpose for your life, and I've got a plan for your destiny, and God again and again promises that, in fact, in the areas where we are so weak, that those are the very areas that God wants to manifest his strength. So those are some things that we need to say on the front edge of this talk, but we're ready now, and I want to go ahead and dive into it. These particular verses are not up on the screen, but let me read them. And then we're going to dive in. So this is James, James chapter 5, beginning at verse 7. And this is what he says. Dear brothers and sisters, be patient. Be patient as you wait for the Lord's return. And, and then he gives us an agricultural metaphor. He says, consider the farmers who patiently wait for the rains in the fall and in the spring. They eagerly look for the valuable harvest to ripen. And then he says at verse 8, you too must be patient. Now it's sort of back to us. You too be patient. Take courage, for the coming of the Lord is near. Don't grumble about each other, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. For look, the judge is standing at the door. And one of the things that we noticed early in the beginning, and let me just put it in the context of this thought, one of the things that James is saying to us, among others in this particular passage, is be patient because there is a day that is coming when all accounts are going to, in fact, be settled. That day is coming. And it gives us, again, what was preeminent in that day was this agricultural idea, and he references a farmer. Now, how many of you know a little bit about farming? Let me, let me uh, put it this way. How many of you grew up on a farm? Let me, let me see your hand. Let's just, you grew up on a farm. How many of you imagine that you would like to grow up on a farm? Well, there's a lot of farming where I grew up uh, in, in the city of Atlanta. But it just so happens that our daughter-in-law, her father is a farmer in the, in the Midwest. And I've not been there. I plan to go there because now my grandkids live near that area. And, and, uh, and for him... I'm told that he farms acres and acres of corn and soybean. And there's a lot that I don't know about farming, of course, growing up uh, in Atlanta. In fact, microscopically, well, that's zero. I know zilch about farming. Never done it. Never grown a plant in my life. But uh, one of the things about farming I understand is that there is so many things about it that is within your control. For example... You control whether or not you're going to plant seed. I mean, a farmer has to make that determination. He can say or she can say, well, I'm going to go out and I'm going to plant the seed in, in hopes of a great harvest. Or they can say, well, I've got all this seed that is sitting out in the barn, and I'd much rather watch television and the air conditioning than plant the seed. You see, that is within the confines of a farmer's control as well as fertilization. Well, I can go out and fertilize. I can go out and do what's going to kill the weeds and cause the plants to flourish. Uh, that is within my control. I can buy the fertilizer and I can spread the fertilizer I can, or I can be passive. 
A farmer can make a determination when at harvest time I will take the necessary equipment and means and I will go and harvest the crop that I've been blessed with or, you know, I've got better things to do and I will not. There are so many things that are within the perimeters of a farmer's control, but there is something obviously that a farmer has no control over whatsoever and that is the farmer has no authority over the rain, none whatsoever. A farmer cannot look into the sky and say, I demand that it rain. Verse 7, you, you heard it a moment ago, consider the farmers who patiently wait for the rain. And even at that, rain patterns are presumed, but they are not guaranteed. A farmer plants their crops hoping that there will be rain, hoping that it is seasonal and the conditions are right. And, but yet, it, you know, it could be an expectation, but it's, it's not guaranteed. But what James is saying here is that what is absolutely certain is that all of the wrongs are going to be made right at the end of time. They're just going to be made right. Listen to this verse, and this found, this whole idea found throughout the Bible, and it starts all the way back in the very first book of the Bible in Genesis when we read Genesis 18:25, and this is what the writer says, will not the judge of all the earth, who's the judge of all the earth, by the way? It's God. Will not God, the judge of all the earth, do right? And it's rhetorical in the sense that it's like, yes, he will do right. The judge of all the earth is perfect, is right, and will take all of the wrongs and all of the injustices that has happened, and he will. There is coming a day, James is saying, when all of the wrongs are going to be made right. And he's speaking to people just like you and I and say, with that, with that forethought, you just know, be patient, be patient. These things will be settled. And James knew that for anybody who loses patience with this process, if we are not careful, usually the next step is that we will begin to feel overwhelmed with the sensation of of despair and and we're not patient and and we don't see the day. We can only see the here and now and our present pain and our present suffering. And it's difficult for us to look beyond it. And because we cannot look beyond it as God would want us to, we have this sense of despair. Now, I haven't thought about how that, you know, we need to be patient because all accounts are going to be settled. Have you noticed that there is something within us all that yearns for justice to be accomplished? Haven't you had those moments in your life where you just said, that is not right. They cannot get by with that. How in the world can they not be punished for the atrocities that they have done, for the wrongs that they've committed? And quite often it seems that that happens, though, that, that tyrants and dictators and murderers and such beat the system. And we just say, that is, that's, that's not fair. How can they, how can, have you ever felt that way? How can they get away with that? How is it even possible that they could do something as, as heinous as, as that and not even have to deal with the negative repercussions of what they have done? It just doesn't seem fair that they're going to be able to get off scot-free. But the reality is they will not get off scot-free. Maybe they will in this life. But one day, one day, everyone will have to answer to a powerful and perfect judge. And so will those who have intentionally by the way, and maliciously caused you pain and caused you heartache and caused you harm. Now, why would I even mention that? Let me tell you, the purpose for me mentioning it is not so that you can say, well, good, it's good to be reminded of that. Anybody that's hurt me and caused me pain, I revel in the idea that they're going to pay at the end of time. That's not what we need to do. We don't need to have an attitude that says, hey, to the degree that they have caused me pain, I pray that they receive pain to the 10th power when it's all said and done. 
No, that's not the attitude that you and I want to adopt. But it is this reality that one day all accounts are going to be settled. And the truth is, God's going to judge. God's going to judge. It will. Now, and that, the good side, and this is why I really wanted to purposely mention this to you, is it really takes the mindset of revenge and retaliation out of our hands. Because there, conceptually, if you just think, well, you know, they hurt me, they did this to me, they harmed me, they abused me, and you know what, they ought, they ought to pay, and, and I pray that they will pay, and, you know, if I have my way, I'll make sure that at some point they pay. You don't want to care around that kind of bitterness in your life. It will only be ruinous to you. Instead, you just operate with this reality that, that one day, one day they will have to pay. Now, James continues. It's this idea now of being patient because the day is coming when all of our suffering is, is going to end. And I can promise you that what you're going through right now will not last forever. And you may be wondering, well, Jeff, can you say that so confidently? And I believe that I can. This verse is not on the screen, but I want you to listen to it. 2 Corinthians 4.17 says, This small and temporary trouble that we suffer. And I know what you're thinking because I've thought the same thing. Small? Really? Temporary? Do you have any idea, pastor, what I'm going through? There's nothing small about this. This is enormous. This is heavy. This is weighty. This is dark. This is uh, discouraging to me. This is, this is no small matter. And it's not that, that Paul, who happens to be writing this particular verse, is just making light, is minimizing the pain and suffering we sometimes go through. He's just making a parallel. The small and temporary trouble we suffer will bring us a tremendous and eternal glory much greater than the trouble that we have here. So it's like Paul is saying, no, 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 I'm not minimizing. I know it's real. I know it's hurtful. I know you're going through pain. I know you're suffering. I've been through that myself. And Paul actually became very audacious in his comments in regards to this. He said, I sought the Lord. In fact, I asked him three times to remove this thorn from my flesh. I know what it's like. And I know what it's like for God to, at least at that point in my life, tell me, well, not now, Paul. I'm not going to take it, that thorn out of your flesh. And a lot of people think that it was a physical abnormality that he was having to contend with. And, and God is saying, at least for this season, I'm not going to remove it from your life. But here's what I will do, Paul. Where you are weak, I will give you strength. It's like Paul now comes along later and he says to people like us, yeah, I know you can't see it now. I know you can't grasp it right now. But what you're going through now in light of how God is going to take care of you in the future, it is small by comparison. Read this next verse with me. Look at it. This one is up on the screen. I want all of you to join me. This is Romans 8, 18. Help me out. Let's all read it together. I consider that what we suffer at this present time cannot be compared at all with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. And, and again, this is Paul speaking to the believers in Rome, and he says essentially the same thing in a slightly different way. In Revelation chapter 21 and verse 4, the apostle John says this, and this is a tremendous verse. He says that at the end of time, here's what God's going to do. God is going to wipe every tear from their eyes. God's going to do that. He's going to wipe every tear from your eyes. Now, Let's do a little time out right here, all right? Here's something that all of us fundamentally know. When everything is going really good in your life, how many of you like it when that happens, by the way? 
when everything is going good in your life, when everything is going really, really good in your life, how many of you know, help me out here, how many of you know that it is so much easier in those times to worship God and to serve God and to love God when everything is going really, really good in your life? How many of you know it's easier to do it then? Isn't that true? But what about when it's not like that? What about those times when there's some real trouble in your family? What do you do when there's problems in your work environment? Or you have a lack of financial resources and it's causing you a lot of challenge? What if you are suffering in your body? What if you live with perpetual pain? What if there's a disease that you just don't see that there's any answer to? What if you are being tormented in your mind? What if you're discouraged? What if there's a cloud of depression that just seems like it is continually looming over your head? What do you do in moments like that? And here's what I want you to know. This is important for all of us to know, really. And that is that God always, always, always values a persevering and enduring spirit. And somehow, friends, I just want you to know this. If in spite of all of the challenges that you are faced with right now, if you will still somehow maintain your faith and trust in the goodness of God, even when you have questions, and follow his purpose and plan for your life, then I promise you this is something that God is going to do. God is going to remember your faithfulness, and God is going to reward your faithfulness. And there's a time coming when God's going to do that. He's going to remember it, and he's going to reward it. I know in times of great challenge, we have all kinds of things going through our mind. Like, why, why am I going through this? What have I done? What have I done to deserve this? Why would God, even if God did not cause it, why would God allow it to happen to me? And really, if I'm trying to really be all that God intended, why would I even have to walk through something like this? Do I stay in the game? Do I get out of the game? What do I do? But yet there is something about the persevering spirit where we just say, you know what? I don't really like what I'm going through, and I'm going to be glad when what I'm going through is ended. But in, in spite of that, I'm going to trust God. I'm going to believe God. I'm going to be patient because I know this is temporary. I'm going to persevere. And you know what God's going to do? God will always take notice of that kind of spirit and attitude. And what God will do is God will remember it and he will reward it. He's going to be so glad that you didn't give up. He's going to be so glad that you didn't walk away. I love this verse. Take a look at it up on the screen. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 9. Let's all read this one together, all right? So about, from best I could tell, about 52.4% of you read with me last time. I'd love for the rest of you to join me. All right, so let's all read this one. Help me out, everybody. But as Scripture says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has imagined the things that God has prepared for those who love him. Why would you want to stop when God has prepared something good for you, when God is going to reward your faithfulness and your tenacity and your perseverance? You don't want to fall short of that. You don't want to walk away. You don't want to quit. You don't want to give in. You don't want to become bitter when God is going to reward you in that regard. Well, let's return to James chapter 5. Let's go back there. You're going to see these next couple of verses up on the screen. This is verses 10 and 11. He continues. Now James says, brothers and sisters, follow the example of who? Of the prophets. Look at the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. James says, these prophets were what? They were patient when they suffered unjustly. We consider those who endure to be what? 
You're blessed. If you endure, you're going to be blessed. You're not going to miss out on the rewards that God's going to hand out to you. You're going to be blessed if you endure. And then he shifts from the prophets who knew a lot about pain and suffering to a guy that we know about in the Old Testament. And James says, you've heard about Job's endurance, and you saw how the Lord ended his suffering because the Lord is, two words, because the Lord is what? He is compassionate and he is merciful. In addition to the prophets who most definitely knew something about the suffering and endurance, James now is talking about Job. And in the remaining time that we have this morning, there are three things about Job's life that I want you to learn. There are three things about Job's life that I would love it, and I think it would be so helpful to you if you would apply it to your own life. Let me give them to you. I want you to be sure you get them down somewhere. Get them down on your, uh, your iPad, your smartphone, your tablet. Get them down somewhere. But I want to give you three things that you and I can learn, and I pray that we will apply to our life. Having followed his example, number one, here it is. Job did not deny his pain. He was very, very real with God about his pain. I have a cousin, and this cousin of mine, you've, some of you have heard me talk about him before. He's, he's, I've got a lot of cousins, as many of you do, but this cousin is like a brother to me, and it's been that way for a, a long, long time. He pastors a great church just a couple of hours from here. We have that in common. We have so many other things in common. We love life. We love to laugh. We're not that far apart in age, and and we're like, we're like brothers, and we talk at least two to three times a, a, a week back and forth, and, and uh, recently sort of the tone of our conversations turned a little bit different way. Uh, most of you know, if you don't know what I'm about to tell you, it's only because you're brand new to our church, or perhaps you've been living under a rock for the last two and a half years, but I'm a grandfather, a proud grandfather. In fact, since these two little girls have come along, they both have turned me into a shameless idiot, and I don't even care about it. And so now my cousin, who I'm very close to, the tone of our conversation has gone something like this. It's been, Jeff, I can't wait because there's been the expectancy of a grandson. I can't wait. I cannot wait to be a grandfather. Is it really as good? And, and my response, as many times as he has said that to me, my response has been always the same. It doesn't matter what I say or anybody else says in regards to how really great it is because no matter how great we try to tell you it is, it's not going to be able to capture the reality of how it is. And so we've had these kind of conversations. I was with him Friday night, this past Friday night. When you think about it, just hours ago. We met over in Brandon. We had dinner together, and we laughed together, and we talked as we, we've, we always do. And then we came back, and we batted this conversation right around again. And he says, oh, man, we're getting close now, two weeks, the due date. You know, his daughter, who, of course, we know really, really well, she's within two weeks now of her delivery. He just smiled every time he talked about it. And he'd say things like, and I get this. Hey, I was out the other day, and I saw this, and I went ahead and bought it. I saw that, and I went ahead and got it. He's not even here yet. And I, got, I get all that. So you take this in context. That was Friday night. Yesterday, I'm sitting at my desk. My cell phone rings. I look down, and it's him. 
I just think, really, you know, when I see you, you know, we were just going to talk about what a great time, you know, it was, you know, the night before and hanging out. Just, And I picked it up, and there was a lot of emotion in his voice. And this is all he had time to say. He said, Jeff, please, please pray. Please. Again, it's choking up. There's something wrong with the baby. There's something wrong. And I'll call you later, he says. And then he's gone. Of course, I put down everything I was doing, and I just started praying, oh, God, please. It's about an hour later. My phone goes off again. This time, not a call, but a text. And I looked down, and I could not believe. In fact, I just shook my head. And I just thought it cannot be so. And I looked. And all he texted was, he's now with Jesus. And I thought, oh, my. Not too long after that, we talked. And I mean, this is a strong guy. This is not a weak guy. This is not like some brand-new baby Christian. This is a strong, capable, gifted pastoral leader who's walked with Jesus for many, many years. And just the flood of emotion, the raw pain, the disbelief, the profound sadness, the tears. And just like Job, he did not try to hide his pain. He did not ignore, ignore his, uh, his emotions. It, he did not likely regard the deep questions of his kids who love God, love God deeply, have served God themselves for many years, who are like, Dad, why, why, why? We don't understand why would something like this happen. Maybe not in the same scenario, but you've been in similar situations in your life. Job was certainly there, and this is what Job or, or James is wanting us to know. He is telling us that in the case of Job, he, there were times when Job questioned God, and there were times when he let his frustrations and his anger rip, and he called out his fears, and he talked to God about his struggles, and he, and he just went through this. And, and In fact, you know, Job just had all kind of complexity about his own challenges. You know of everything that he went through, and and yet he did not deny what he felt. He spoke up, and he didn't have a lot of encouragement. I mean, he had these friends, and I mean, who wants friends the way Job's friends were? And they came around, and they were silent for the first while because they were staggered by not only what they had been hearing, but by now what they see because now it's not just the loss of his business, and it's not just that he has lost all of his employees. It's not just that he's lost one child, but all of his children in a freak storm, and now he has this his, this health that is rapidly deteriorating. And when his friends walk up to comfort him, Job's comforters, they are called, and they're just silent because they're taken back by this man who was once a picture of strength and vitality is now utterly wasting away. And then eventually they begin to talk. And when they begin to talk, I know that Job, Job must have felt, I wish they'd go back and keep their mouth shut because it's like Job you know what, you're going through this because of you, man. You've done something wrong. There's no way that a good God in heaven would allow something like that to happen. What's going on in your life? Why would you even question God? There must be sin in your life. God wouldn't allow this to happen. And, and that they get into that whole thing that is so destructive, and it has been destructive to people again and again. But Job did not try to hide what he felt. He did not put it underground. It wasn't like Job said, well, I'm thinking these things and I'm feeling these things, but if I just somehow keep them to myself, God's not going to know about them. 
It wasn't that at all. He let it rip. But you know what he found? A strange thing occurred, and that is that God did not distance himself from Job. He actually moved toward him, and that's what God always does. Now, I'm not talking about, of course, cursing God and just, you know, blaspheming God and just saying, God, you know, if that's who you are, just this, this rage to such a degree. It's like, forget you, God, if that's how it's going to be. But God is not offended by our questions. God does not withdraw his presence because of our doubts. When we pour out our raw pain and emotions before God, God doesn't say, hey, suck it up and deal with it. He moves toward us. And Job didn't try to deny how he felt. He didn't deny his pain. It may be good for you to reread the book of Job this week, and in it you will also discover this reality. Job allowed his suffering to refine his character Look at what he says. This is uh, out of Job 23 and verse 10. Look at it here on the screen. But he, and he is God, but God knows the way that I, I take, and when he has tested me, when I've come through this, I'm going to come forth as gold. I don't like it. It's a test. It's fiery in its nature, but you know what I believe? I believe I'm going to come forth some way, somehow, a better person. And when you look at Job's unbelievably painful circumstances, everything that I just mentioned to you that he went through, it could have, and maybe you thought, you know, it should have, broken him into a million pieces, but instead there was something about Job that he refused to lose faith in God. You know what he did? He persevered. He didn't like it, and he told God he didn't like it. He didn't understand it, and he told God he didn't understand it. He was disappointed, and he told God that he was disappointed. And even when his friends were saying, Job, you know, you're going through this. This is a deal of your own making. Had you been a better person, had you not sinned, all of this calamity would not be going on in your life. And you, you know what God was saying about Job the whole time before this ever happened and after it happened? Job, uh, God said this about Job, that he is the most righteous man on the face of the earth. There was no unexplainable reason why he would go through it. But Job shook himself and he said, I'm going to be honest with God about what I think, about what I feel, and I'm going to trust God. I'm going to believe that some way, somehow, God's going to bring me through this and God's going to make me a better person. I don't see how that's going to be, but I trust Him. Who likes pain? Do you? I don't. In fact, if you were to set up a table somewhere and on it you had a big sign that said pain, right next to it was another sign that said suffering, and you were encouraging people to come and sign up for it, I promise, I like you, but I would never come to your table. I would not. And if I was near my car, I would get in my car and I would drive in the opposite direction of your table as fast as I could. Who lights pain? Who lights suffering? No sensible person that I know. But it's hard to deny that there's something about it that usually gets our priorities back in alignment. There's something about it that puts us on our knees. There's something about it that causes us to seek God more. Let me give you a third and final thing about Job. He did not deny the reality of his pain. He allowed his suffering to refine his character. And then thirdly and lastly, he trusted in God's compassion and mercy to bring some good out of all of his pain, to bring some good out of all, of, out of all the negativity in his life. You see, early on 
it was virtually impossible for Job to see that anything positive could come out of everything that he was going through. But somehow, as I mentioned, he maintained his faith and he trusted God. And he, didn't, he did it in the face without encouragement. Some of you have heard me say it because I've said it two or three or four times, possibly even here. I used to say, I used to say, wow, you know, everything that he's going through. And then he had Mrs. Job, and, and she didn't have the gift of exhortation and encouragement because when he's looking for a little bit of solace and relief, she just looks at him and says, hey, dude, just go ahead and curse God and die. I mean, how many of you, that's, I don't know how you interpret it, how you discern it, but that to me does not sound like the gift of encouragement. It does not. And then one day it hit me. Well, what, what else would she say? She lost every kid she gave birth to. She was just crying out of her own pain. Why don't you just curse? You know what she's saying? Why don't we just all curse God and die? Job had to deal with that. He had to deal with his such, you know, friends. But he just said, you know what? I'm going to hang in here. I'm going to believe God. I don't like it. And I've told God I don't like it. But I believe. I'm trusting Maybe there's something good that can come out of all this pain. I'm not going to re- rehash the whole story, but I will read one more verse out of Job. This is at the end of Job. This is Job 42, 12, and I love this. And I pray that it was just infused within you great encouragement because it says this, and the Lord blessed the last part of Job's life even more than he had blessed the first. It's just like everything that he lost and everything that he had gone through. God found a way to restore. It's a verse that we often throw around, and if we're not careful, we'll actually turn this verse into a cliche. It's Romans 8, 28. A lot of you are familiar with it. A lot of you have quoted it. A lot of you have gone to a friend and said it. Maybe you did not say it with deep feeling or emotion. Maybe you just said it because this is what Christians are expected to say to other Christians when they're going through a tough time. I want you to look at the verse on the screen, Romans 8, 28, and this is what it says. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose, can and I just tell you, this is not just something that Christians should say to other Christians. This is not just a cliche. Do you know what that actually is? The verse you just saw on the screen, it is an actual promise from God. And God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Look at this verse. This is out of the Psalms. The wisdom writer says, I think it's one of the greatest verses in all of the Bible. For some of you, this is the verse. If you get no other verse today, this is the verse that God has for you. Psalm 34, 18. Look at it with me. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He's close to the brokenhearted. He's not standing back. He's not aloof. He's not distant. He is not unconcerned. He is not preoccupied. But for everyone that is brokenhearted, God is close and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. I want to leave you with three thoughts. We looked at three things that we can apply to our own lives from Job's example, but I want you to take away these three thoughts with you. Thought number one, it is is this. It is okay to let God know what you think and what you feel. And you know what you're going to find? You're going to find the very same thing that Job did, that when you do that, it is not going to repel God. What it will actually do is it will attract God into your life and into your circumstances. Tell God. Well, really? I mean, really? I mean, I I think this way, but I'm certainly not going to tell God what I'm thinking. 
Perhaps he already knows. I'm not going to tell God what I feel. He's omniscient. He already knew that you would feel this way before you even started feeling this way. And I don't want to get too complex. I want to go, don't want to get too deep uh, theologically. But this is, this is a good thing for you to be able to communicate this to God. Why? It means that you're reaching out to God. If you're not reaching out to God, you'd curse God and walk away. But the very fact that you're asking questions and you're telling him what you think and you tell him what you feel lets you know that you're really seeking after God. Think about it. If you're a parent, you know this. How many times does a child come to you and, and they're hurting and they're going through pain and, 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 they're, and they're just, they need, they need attention and they come up to you. I mean, this has happened with our kids when they were growing up and they stand and they look up to you and they raise their little hand and they often have tears streaming. They're hurting. You know what I've never done and you've never done as a parent? You've never said, now stand there for a moment. I want to give you a 15-minute explanation as to what you're going through. They're not looking for that. And that's not what you're trying to offer. As they stand there, are they looking for you to go into a litany of an explanation? No. All they want to do is for you to pick them up and for you to hold them tight and for you to provide them with the reassurance that everything is going to be okay. Here's a second thought. It's just that. Allow him to hold you. And allow him to heal you. And allow him to love you. Because nobody, nobody cares about your pain and struggle the way that God does. Remember what it said earlier? That God did this for Job. Why? Because God is filled up with compassion and with mercy. And then lastly, as unthinkable as it may seem, believe. Believe that somehow, Something good is going to rise out of all of the pain. God cares. Would you stand with me, everybody, for a closing prayer? As you stand, would you just close your eyes? Some of you have walked into this place. You had no idea, no idea what I was going to be talking about today. You had no idea these were the verses we were going to be looking at. I couldn't have told you three weeks ago that we'd be talking about this subject. But the reality is, God knew. And God knew that you were going to be here. And God wanted you to be reminded. You can tell Him how you feel. And you can tell Him what you think. And he can handle it. And when you're all done, he's not going to turn. And he's not going to walk away. Instead, he's going to lean down. And he's going to hold you. And he's going to love you all through your pain. And if you will listen, he will remind you that even though it seems like an absolute impossibility, some way, somehow, when it turns and it's over, you're going to see that God has brought something good out of all the ugliness and out of all of the pain. And God cares about you. He is close to the brokenhearted 
And God saves those who are crushed in spirit. If you feel that this message is from God for you today, would you just lift your hand? And I want to pray for you right where we're at before we're done. Yeah. God, I pray that you would just touch every heart. I pray that you would touch every life. Thank you that you remind us through your word, your word that is true, that there's nothing that we face that we face alone. We invite you into our pain. We invite you into our challenge. And you eagerly walk with us every step of the way. And I just pray that people leave this place today with a renewed perseverance, a new spirit that will endure, knowing that you really do have a good, good, good plan in mind and that you're going to bring something good out of all the ugliness and all of the pain. And you'll be with us every step of the way. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Can we give the Lord some praise before we're done? As I mentioned to you, we're coming to the end of the series. What is left in the fifth chapter of James is absolutely incredible. I'm telling you, you don't want to miss next Sunday. I promise you, you're going to want to be here. I love you. I hope you have a good week. I'll see you next Sunday.